Good morning, everybody. My name is Alex Baird. I'm the, the lead pastor. Samantha just prayed, but, but I also want to, to pray. And uh, there's something that I keep realizing uh, for us, you know, as a church, is that you're, you're never in a position where you, you, you pray too much. And uh, I just want to pray for our world, specifically just the crisis uh, in Ukraine and Russia. And I don't know about you, but there's times in life where you can be focused on everything that you have on your plate, which you're supposed to be. Uh, that those are our stewardships. And then there's certain things that happen which get your attention. And those are not necessarily your stewardship, but they're things that we have a role to pray for. And this was one of those this past week as things began to rise and tensions began to kind of climb. Um, I just got the sense like, you know, Christians around the world, uh, we need to pray. We need to pray for uh, all those people involved in the conflict. Anytime there's a war, uh, there's a loss of life. And that's tragic. Uh, but also uh, for us to pray uh, for the work that God wants to do through these types of things. And uh, that's the hope that, that we have. If you're a follower of Christ, uh, even as things get desperate, you still have hope in Jesus. And so what I want to do is I want to pray for uh, that whole issue. I, I don't have time to get to all the different nuances of it, but, but I just want to pray, ask God for help, ask him uh, for peace, and then for him to do a work through this through the Christians in Russia, through the Christians in Ukraine, that actually uh, could make a difference in our entire world. So please join me in praying. God, we humbly come to you knowing that you hear us, you know us, and you see every single thing going on. You know every part of our life, the things right now that are weighing on us, the things right now that are uh, just causing fear for us, the things that uh, we're overwhelmed by, and I thank you that you are not an apathetic, casual God, but you draw into the things that we face, you wanna help us. And so we just cry out really as the universal church standing with brothers and sisters around the world, we ask that you'll work through the conflict that's happening right now in Ukraine. We pray for your peace to reign. We ask that you will move and do a work that only you can do, that you will soften the hearts of leaders and of men and of women, that they will actually consider the implications of their decisions, that they will consider you even if they've never considered you before. The scripture says that you, you really hold leaders like they're just, just streams through your hands so you can direct the course of history as you see fit. You uh, are never asleep and you're never absent. And so we ask that you will do a work that only you can do. We pray for the citizens of Ukraine. We pray for the church in Ukraine. We pray for all those who in this moment are caring and looking for ways to help. God, we just pray for resources. We pray for wisdom. We pray for discernment. And we ask that through this, you will do a work that only you can do. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Like I mentioned, there, there's things that happen in life which can, can cause us to look uh, differently or consider things that we, we've not considered. And I think uh, this, just, this crisis, it just for my own life, it's another thing that I'm trying to get my hands around that, that seem like I don't understand. I don't know if you found yourself like that, but that's kind of been like what the last couple of years have been. Uh, COVID was like two years ago. You guys remember that? It's been two years. It's crazy to think. And I think of like the last two years um, as this kind of part of my life where 
I'm, I'm there and I'm moving forward, but I, I'm not always sure exactly which way I'm going. And uh, last weekend uh, with some friends, I was in a, uh, a cabin in Arrowhead. And I don't know if you've ever been to a new place and you, you come to find out how familiar you are with your own house when you get up in the middle of the night. And I went to the restroom to grab a Kleenex and I realized I was no longer at my house because it's completely dark and I'm trying to navigate my way to the bathroom. Well, in my own house, I know exactly where it is. I can do it in the dark because I, I do it all the time. I don't really have to see. I know where walls are. Well, what happened was, as I'm in this cabin, as I wake up in the middle of the night, I start walking towards the bathroom and I'm literally like, that's a wall. And I'm reaching for doorknobs that are not there because it's not a door, it's a wall. And I find myself turning, and I'm at the point where I'm just literally doing this, and I have no bearings because I'm unfamiliar with it. I don't live there. And I think that's a lot of what we've been talking about related to wisdom. It's we find ourselves in life where there's shadows, there's darkness, and there's things that are confusing, and we feel like we're just kind of hitting our head against the wall. We're reaching for something that's not there. And what wisdom is, it illuminates, it allows us to see things even if we've never experienced it before. Wisdom is actually the supernatural gift of God. It allows us to see when we need so desperately to see. But wisdom is actually even more than that. Wisdom is actually given to us through a guide. And the guide is Jesus. And so when we find ourselves in the dark, when we find ourselves hitting our heads, when we find ourselves confused, dizzy, and our bearings are gone, there's actually somebody who wants to guide us and lead us forward. And that person is Jesus. So far in this series, we've been talking a lot about what wisdom is and how you get it. And we've been talking about character, our attitude, the things that we can do to help the pipeline of wisdom uh, flow into our, our life. But today, I want to talk specifically about wisdom is found in a person. And it's this point. All the treasures of wisdom are found in Jesus Christ. If you want the treasures of wisdom, you could look all sorts of places and you might get a piece of a treasure. You may get something that illuminates your path, but all of the treasures of wisdom are found in Jesus. There, there is no substitute to a relationship with Jesus Christ. This is the good news of the scriptures. The Old Testament trains us and teaches us a lot about wisdom, but in the New Testament, we see the fulfillment of how wisdom can fully come to you as you walk with and as you know Jesus. And so as a church at Ridgeview, we wanna make a big deal about Jesus because it is the difference between darkness and light. We can grow in knowledge and understanding and have all sorts of experiences, but if we don't know Jesus, we're still in the dark. And that's what we find in our world. The more educated we become, the more knowledge we have, still doesn't mean we have wisdom. In fact, we can grow very smart, but be very foolish. And we don't have to look far to find that. In fact, most of the time we could look in the mirror and we can see that for our own lives as well. So today I wanna to talk about this, this wisdom that's found in the person of Jesus and then what we can do to make sure that we're aligning with him, we're staying on course as he guides us forward. Jesus' path oftentimes is much different than my own. And it's much different than what you see in culture. It's much different than what you hear in the media or what you see of what is important. He, he actually goes a different way. And that's why we need him to guide us into wisdom. And as we let him guide us and lead us, and as we surrender to him regularly, 
wisdom really does come into our life. Uh, Colossians 2 uh, says this. It says, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love. This is a prayer for the church to reach, notice this, all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom all in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So you see this, this church where we come together, we were encouraged, we're being knit together in love. There's a sense of love defines us, we're unified by it, but then we can understand and reach this sense of the riches and assurance and understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. The mystery that it's talking about here is, is the gospel of Jesus. That is, he has come to save us. What that means is there's a problem that he needed to save us from, and that problem is sin, a brokenness, pain. All the things that we encounter through rebellion going our own way, the mystery is God sent his son to deal with it. The reason this is a mystery is no matter who you are, you can recognize that there's a problem. At a young age, we know when we've messed up, right? Even if you're a toddler and you do something bad, there's a sense of which you just wanna kind of hide your... You can't see me, therefore, there's nothing wrong. This kind of sounds like Darth Vader right here, but... But even if you cover your eyes, there's this, you know, like, well, there's something wrong I did here, and you may not know a lot, but you know, I wasn't supposed to do that, and I did it, and I wanna hide. So there's no mystery to sin, for the most part. We, we know that, we see it, we feel it. But the mystery is, what do we do with it? And you see, in a world... Most people that tell you, the way you deal with your sin is you become a better person. You just be better, you do better, you think better, and you just are on this roller coaster of self-worth, self-works, and you try to improve. And you just hope when your life ends, you've got enough good that stacks up against the bad. It's like the scale. Well, that actually is not how life works. Intuitively, it kind of makes sense, but the mystery is, there's nothing you can do to fix you. Only Jesus can do that. He is the only one whose works, because he was perfect and he was the perfect sacrifice, his works are the only one that can actually tip the scales to pay for the penalty of our sin. So that's why wisdom flows through him and can be only found in him because he's the only one worthy to reconnect us back to God. So it all flows through this gift. And the mystery is we, we, just, we just don't know unless God reveals himself. Uh, a friend of mine said, imagine that you're, you're, in a, you're in a closet and there's somebody on the outside of the closet and they're trying to guess who you are inside of the closet. So you're on the outside, I'm inside and I'm just being quiet. And I'm wondering, they can be able to guess who I am. Well, the problem with the closet is what kind of things are in closets? Well, it could be a vacuum cleaner. It could be a jacket. It could be chairs. It could be junk. Closets, like, isn't that what they're for? You just throw a bunch of junk in there? It could be a person. But the person on the outside of the closet has no idea, is it a who or a what? But imagine inside the closet with the door closed, I said, hello, Alex is in here. Now, is it a what? No, it's a who. And why do they know? Because I spoke. Yes, there's an Alex in the closet. 
Now, if they don't know who I am and they've never met me, they know I'm a person, but they don't necessarily know what I look like. They don't know how I operate. They don't know who I am, really. But what if, underneath the door, I put a, you know, I drew a picture and I gave it to them. This is Alex. Now, for those of you who know me, that still wouldn't help because I'm a terrible artist. So that's where the, the whole point breaks down. But imagine I was a good artist, and this is a character of myself, and this is Alex. Now they know who I look like. Kind of my characteristics, you know, especially my parents. But then over the course of time, if I were to just reveal more and more and just slip these papers under, this is who I am, this is how I operate, this is, the mystery now has become a little clearer. This is actually what God has done through Jesus. He sent him so we could have a picture of him. This is what we celebrate at Christmas. He sent him to teach us more about God because he is God. God himself dwelled with us. This is where Christianity is different, where God took the initiative, sent his son so that the things which are a mystery now are clear. And that's why the word of God is so important because it was revealed to us. And without it being revealed, we don't know Jesus. And without knowing Jesus, all we have is a sense that there's something bigger out there. There's a problem that we have with sin, but we don't necessarily know what to do. But because of Jesus, there's actually restoration. And so for Christians, if you've decided to follow Jesus, you actually have a guide and a way forward that no one else has. If you're investigating what it means to follow Jesus, this quest and the questions you're asking and the search that you're on is the most important of your life. Because if you can know Jesus and he can lead you forward, it will change you and your direction. It will change everything about you from the inside out. And that's what Paul is saying here. That mystery will be revealed as we pursue Christ, as we give our life to him. As we decide, you are my boss, you lead me forward, I will do what you say. There's be some dots that will start to connect as you continue to obey. Then when you face the next challenge and God tells you to do something as you obey, another dot will be connected. And as you find, you're seeing this, this picture of who you are, of your role in the world, how God wants to use you, and it becomes clarifying. We're in a time where there is so much confusion of who we are as people. We just choose who we want to be, and we play God. What gender do I want to be? Well, you just choose it. What role do I want to play? Well, I just choose it. Well, actually, God has decided who you are. He made you, and it's our role, and it's in humility our place to say, God, who am I, and how have you made me, and how do I align with that? So, Let's dig into how do we kind of have this relationship. If you've been a Christian, uh, this will be like a a recap. If you're investigating what it means to be a Christian, I hope this will clarify, but I wanna give like a snapshot and then I'll dig into it. But to have a relationship with Jesus Christ, here are the main things. The first is uh, God provides, we decide, you can just go quick, we decide to do what he says and build a life of wisdom. So now, Most of the time in our world, we start with this. We want a life of wisdom. And all of us would say, yes, that's what we want. 
And then you look in the media and you look in our culture and you look in the schools and everyone has a different way that you will get that life of wisdom. Just be better, do better, think better, learn more, get educated, try to do good and build a life of wisdom. But when it breaks down, there's no diagnosis for what you're supposed to do. When it doesn't work, when you get stuck, there's no diagnosis, but you just, you gotta build a life of wisdom. Okay, I'm gonna build a life of wisdom, how? Go on a search, believe in your heart, and you'll find it. Okay, what's the first step? No idea. But you will build a life of wisdom if you believe it strong enough. You get, you get what I'm saying? This is what we're fed. Like you, We all wanna build a life of wisdom. But this is where God has revealed the mystery. We don't have to guess. It's not choose your own adventure. It's not all paths lead to Jesus. All paths lead to heaven. All paths lead to eternity. It's not. It's this. God provides the way to connect back to him. We decide whether we will go his way. We'll decide whether we're gonna do what he says. And then this happens. We usually start at the goal, but fail to realize the path that leads to the goal. Wisdom through Christ leads us from the beginning to the goal. You guys get what I'm saying? So let's break this down just for what scripture says, because again, we, we live in a time where everything is very general. Even belief in God. You just have to believe. Okay? Are they talking about the same God I'm talking about? Do they believe in the same Jesus that I believe in? Do all roads lead to the same place so it doesn't matter what you do? You see, that has a very different approach to wisdom. If it doesn't matter what you do, it doesn't matter what you choose, we all end up in the same place, then does life really matter at all? It's so, you know, fatal. You just, it's already before you just do it. It's gonna happen. That's kind of what it means to live a godless life. But the scriptures go against that. So to have a relationship with Jesus Christ, let's start at the beginning. A God provides. 1 Corinthians 1 says this, and because of him, and because of him, you are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Sometimes you read a scripture like this and you see words that you're like, I don't think I've ever used that word in my life. So I'm gonna break those down. There's a, there's a few of them, but, but notice, and because of him, him is God, God the Father. God made you, he made me. We're not here by accident. He actually determined exactly who you would be in the time in which you would be born. He actually determined that you would live here in the family that you were born into. Nothing slipped his hand. But because of him, you are in Christ Jesus. That mystery was made known. He sent Christ. For whoever decided to follow him, something happens. And this is what he talks about. First, became the wisdom from God. Again, if you decide to follow Jesus, what happens? You get wisdom. The treasures you can find. Now, what that means is, it doesn't mean you just wake up one day, I'm gonna follow Jesus. You open your door and there's a treasure box with gold pieces. No, these treasures are actually still somewhat hidden that you have to dig out. And you dig them out by obedience and faith, by doing what God says. But the treasures are there. You just, you have to align with God to get them. But you get wisdom. And then notice, 
there's righteousness, and that's doing what is right before God. Jesus became our righteousness so that we could have righteousness. Again, the world gets a sense, if you messed up, you need to fix it. And people are just on the spiral. I just got to keep making amends and making amends and making amends. I got to feel guilty and then feel better. I feel guilty and then I feel better. And it's just this roller coaster spiral you can never get out of. It's a pit of self-righteousness. How do I make myself feel better so I can do better? Actually, you can't. Only Jesus can make you right. That's the forgiveness of sin that he has given to us. And then this word sanctification, anyone use that word this past week? Probably not, but sanctification is God has set us apart to grow in holiness. That is, as you decide to follow Christ and you begin to get the wisdom that comes from him alone and you grow in this righteousness, being right before God and right before others, you actually become more holy person. That is, there are things that I need to limit myself from doing and saying and thinking because I belong to Jesus. The options that everyone has, I don't have because he's sanctifying me. He's purifying me so I become a different type of person. You ever had a thought and you thought, man, I hope no one ever knows that. You know, you guys don't even wanna say anything about that, but we've all had those thoughts like, wow, that was, where'd that come from? And those thoughts are, are normal. We can have terrible thoughts about people, about situations. But what God wants to do is not give us guilt, but us to recognize that was a wrong thought. That's not true. I need to confess it. God, that thought was wrong. What I thought about that person, in the name of Jesus, will you forgive me for that? That's part of his holiness working. Make us realize that those things are not of the people of Jesus. And so if you mess up, you clean it up, you confess it, and God forgives you. But that's the sanctifying process. And then the redemption but you see, that last word is we're freed from being a slave to sin. Sin can chain you and bind you up like nothing. It can keep you trapped in a dungeon of guilt and shame. But redemption is you can escape the dungeon not because you know the way out, not because you have the power or the resources to escape, but you can escape the dungeon because of Jesus. He unlocks the gate that locks you in. And you know how he unlocked it? With his life. He died for us so we could escape the dungeon of our sin and experience redemption. The reason I say this is it's good as people to take a step back and see the almighty magnificence. Magnificence, is that a word? I think I said that wrong. Did I say it? Yeah, you guys, it starts with an M, and you said it. Yeah. It's good to take a step back and see, you know what? There's something much bigger than me going on in this world. There's something more powerful, and there's someone that sees me and knows me that's far greater than I could ever understand. That's very good for people to realize that. Because the best thing for us is not for us to elevate ourselves as gods. We're not. The best thing is for us to elevate the God who is God and will always be God. So God provides all that we need to have a relationship with him. And he provides all that we need to have wisdom. But here is the kicker. God provides and then we 
decide. That is, we must accept that there's a God. We must accept there was a problem, our sin. We must accept that he sent Jesus to pay the price for our sin. We must accept his commands and decide whether to do them. We must accept that we have to surrender and humble ourselves to follow his plan instead of our own. We have to decide all of the time to go his way. But it begins with one decision. I'm gonna bow my knees to the king and I'm gonna surrender to the almighty one, God himself. When you decide that once and for all, that you wanna do what God says, and you wanna accept what Jesus has done to pay the price for our own rebellion, that this is where life begins to come together. That's what it means to become a Christian. When Sam was talking about baptism, when people are baptized, they are saying, I have decided to follow Jesus. I accept his righteousness, his redemption, his sanctification, and the wisdom that he will give me. We decide. That's what the, the scripture says. Romans 10, 9 says, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, what do the last four words say? Say it again. You will be saved. But just like, and build a life of wisdom, it's the same. You will be saved. How are you saved? There's one way. Through Jesus. There is one way through Jesus. There is one way through Jesus. So if you're a follower of Jesus, you're in the right way. <laughs> you're going the right way. You are on the right path because it's the only way. If you confess with your mouth to Jesus, Lord, and believe, now believe, scripture belief, Disney belief, different, okay? Disney belief, feeling. It feels good. Like I just want to dream this, and it will feel good, and the dream will come true. If you wish upon a... I'll save you the rest. I love that stuff. I get fired up like, <laughs> I believe <laughs> it's gonna happen. Different, not feeling. Belief is God will do what he says and it will happen. And I don't need to feel it to believe it. I need to believe it and take a step forward in faith and then what you find is the feelings come. It's just like the greatest commitment you can make. If you're married and you want to base your marriage on your feelings, you are in trouble because your feelings change from one hour to the next. But our belief in God is not on our feelings, whether we feel it or not. Our belief on God is not even based on us. It's, again, Jesus, forgiveness, redemption, sanctification, righteousness, all of those things. If you believe that he raised him from the dead, he conquered death, he conquered sin, you will be saved. Here's a little uh, picture of kind of like the, the gospel. This is called the three circles. So I just wanna go over this really briefly. God's design is he made you to have a relationship with you, every single one of us, on the whole entire earth, not just America, everywhere. God's design, he made you just like the maker, he wants to have a relationship. There's this relationship from the creator to the creation. God's design. What happened up here? Sin. God wants to have a relationship with us on his terms because he's God, but we go our own way. We sin. God, I don't really want a relationship with you. 
because I think I wanna find the success over here. I think I wanna find my purpose over here. And God's like, well, no, my design is, is me and you in a relationship. I know, God, one day I'll do that. But right now, there's a lot of things I need to do. Sin, ultimately, is, is rebellion. It's going our own way. What that led to, what that leads to again and again is brokenness. You see those like four little squiggly lines? Brokenness, first and foremost, the, the top one is spiritual. You're broken spiritually, meaning you now have offended and rebelled against God. So think about the one who made us. We want nothing to do with. But because he made us, he knows exactly who we are. He knows what we need. He knows when we need it. And we just say, but yeah, God, but you don't know me like I know me. You know how ludicrous that is? Actually, he knows you better than you know you. So spiritual is the first brokenness, like we're disconnected from God. And then because of spiritual brokenness and that disconnection, uh, there's also mental brokenness. Like our minds, we, we honestly believe a lie is a truth and the truth is a lie. And we're easily deceived. That's what we're seeing in our world. It's hard to even know what's true anymore, right? And part of that is because mentally, it's hard to even understand. And then you've got all these people that are broken and you don't know what the truth is. So it leads to more confusion. There's also social brokenness. The fact of there, there are people that have power and have resources and want to lord that over other people. That's existed since the beginning of time. That was not God's design, but that's what it is. It's broken socially, economical. It's broken. We're seeing this play out right now in real time. So this brokenness is a spiritual issue that feeds into and leads to all sorts of brokenness. And our governments and our leaders across the entire world are trying to figure out how to solve brokenness or how to leverage brokenness for their own advance. Everyone in the world experiences the brokenness, is a part of the brokenness. We're stained by the brokenness. But there's only one way to deal with brokenness. It's not through more funding. It's not through more movements. The only movement that matters is this. You have to repent and believe. That is, I have to return to God who made me. It's not utopia. It's, I gotta repent of my own sin and I have to do what God says and that's the gospel. I can't earn it myself. I can't fix myself. I can't save myself and no institution can and no one else can except for God. When you decide this is true, what Jesus did, that's the gospel, what we've talked about, you can recover and pursue God's design. You see how that works? You can recover and pursue God's design for you, who he made you to be. Uniquely, you are different than me. Our church is made up of all sorts of different people. But if all we have is brokenness, do you know how terrible this church would be without Jesus? First off, we wouldn't be a church and second, you wouldn't want to be here because brokenness permeates everything. Our families, it's the same. The church is the same. But it's only in our brokenness when we realize we need to be restored 
And we remember that it's through Jesus that we can recover and pursue God's design. Does that make sense? So God provides, then we decide, what do we do with our brokenness? And once you decide that Jesus is the only thing, that he's the only person that can fix your brokenness, life starts to come together again. Now, I'd be lying to you if I said, you just turn to Jesus and your life is magically better. Do you know how long it takes for bad decisions to begin to kind of get back to right ones? We all know the answer to that, right? A long time. It's not magic, but it is real. And moment by moment, step by step, God begins to repair. So God provides that we decide What do we decide? This is the third, to do what he says. His word rises to the top. Luke 6, 46, this is a warning. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you, and not do what I tell you, sorry. So Lord, Lord, leader, boss, Lord, Lord, you're you're the leader, leader. It's like you saying, you know, you lead me, you're my boss, and what do leaders and boss do? They, they guide you forward. But I'm not gonna do that. But you're my boss. Okay, go this way. Not this time. You need to love this person. You're my Lord, but not that person. Right? So it's not just Jesus saves us and then he leaves us. Jesus saves you, then he changes you. You can't get cleaned up before you come to Jesus. But when you come to Jesus, He will clean you up. And he cleans you up as you do what he says. Hard things, but things that you can do now because you have grace and you have power, supernatural power. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead now empowers you to make a different choice. Can't fix it yourself, but you can fix it with Jesus. And then the fourth, build a life of wisdom. God provides, we decide to do what he says and then build a life of wisdom. Uh, you may have heard this. If you've grown up in church, this is a story you may have heard like early on. There was a song even. I wanna read this from Matthew. Uh, Jesus is talking about building your life on something. It says, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. Then it goes on. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them, here's the comparison, they will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell. And great was the fall of it. Are there any consistencies between the wise that built on the rock and the foolish that built on the sand? Anything the same? They both built a house. They both experienced the storm. This is such a great story, what Jesus is doing. What he's saying is, if you go the way of Jesus and you do what he says, the storms don't skip you. You still experience them. The hard times, turbulence, they still will come over your house, over your household, over your life. But what happens is, when it passes, you have stood. You're not destroyed. This is the hope we have in Jesus. It's not that we are not going to face hard things. 
you will, and you are. But in the middle of those storms and as they pass, we can look and say, because of Jesus Christ, I still stand. And that is the promise that we have. But that is hard to keep in check because it's easy to get off track, to not do what Jesus says, to not go his way, but still want the life of wisdom. You can't have it both ways. The only way to have a life of wisdom is you have to build your life on the rock, God's word, do what he says, moment by moment. I saw a picture of a house right here. Now, in California, this would be $3 million. <laughs> and that's a deal. And there'll be offers for $4 million for that. But in all seriousness, would you want to put an offer on that? No. I want you to keep this in your head. Anytime anyone tells you to do something that doesn't go the way God has told you to go, they're telling you to build a house like that. Every time. The reason we often don't do what God says, we don't have that house in our view. We have something that's stable, sturdy, magnificent. But if it's not going the way God has told us to go, and if it's not going through Jesus and doing what he says, his ways, on his terms, that's what we build every single time. We still have a house, but the storms will come. What would a Fontana wind do to that? Right? Then they'll be half price sale, 1.5 million. You can keep the materials. Okay. You guys know how I feel about the housing market now. All right, let's, uh, let's turn uh, the corner. So I want to go back to the, the circles now that are a little filled in. So here's some, some scriptures. Uh, it's a little bit cut off, but um, if you're interested, this is like the whole Christian story. God's design, Genesis 1, 26 through 27. Sin, Romans 3.23, Romans 3.10. Brokenness, again, spiritual, mental, social, economical. You see that Psalm 51.3, Romans 6.23. But then you all get to the point. Okay, God provides. I decide to do what he says and build a life of wisdom. At that point, I repent and believe. And this is the gospel. John 3.16, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That's the gospel. Then you can recover and pursue his design again. So this is all four of those things uh, coming uh, together. That is the good news. We live in a time where it's hard to find good news, right? It's hard. But the good news is not circumstances. The good news is not even what's going on in our world. The good news is despite what's happening, and especially in the middle of the storms, God is doing a work. And that's why we pray for Ukraine. That's why we pray for the Christians and for the church. Because God can do a work in the middle of that brokenness that people could discover the gospel for the first time. And their lives will not only change now, but their eternity will change. The reason this is so important, we're talking about forever. We're not just talking about here and now. We're not even talking about a decade. We're not talking about 100 years. We're talking about forever. 
people's destinies changing. This is what we wanna keep in mind. We wanna help people to build a foundation so their life now can experience wisdom, but then so they can connect to God forever and be with him. So I wanna just turn the corner as I close and just talk about how to grow in wisdom by adopting Jesus' lifestyle. I'm gonna go through this really quick. But we grow in wisdom by adopting Jesus' lifestyle in three ways. The first is love God enough to want to please him. Uh, Matthew 22, I've talked about this a little bit, but he said, and he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. Jesus was being set up by the religious leaders of the day. Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? And as soon as he says what the greatest commandment is, we're gonna be able to trick him and say, but what about this commandment? What about that commandment? We're gonna bind him, we're gonna convict him of his own folly, you know, set up Jesus. Never a good term or a good move. It doesn't work. So Jesus says, well, you love God with, with everything, everything in you. Now, I heard this from somebody early on when I was going through, I think, pre-engagement counseling. And love is oftentimes spelt, actually, time. I just said it. Love is T-I-M-E. You wanna know what it means to love God? A lot of times it's the, how much time are you spending reading his word? How much time are you asking yourself, what does God want for me? And how do I move forward? How much time am I spending in the things of God with his people, doing what he says? The picture here is this is everything, every part of you. You wanna put God first. The reason I say that is it doesn't matter who you are and how long you've been at church how much experience you have with God's word, there are things that are always vying for our attention. There are always things that are trying to get up in the pecking order, trying to get above God in our life. Always. There's things that are always vying for our attention that are pulling us in the wrong direction. And so this is a, a warning and an encouragement. God, I wanna rise, help your truth to the top of my life. I want that to be the loudest thing that I hear. God, will you help me turn down the volume of those things which cloud my judgment? Will you help me to turn down the volume of the things that don't represent you as I turn up the volume of the things that do? God, may your word turn the volume up in my life that, that that's what I can hear and that's what I can do and I have a vision for that. I think I learned this more than ever after I planted this church. Back in 2018, after the church was planted, it was like, I don't know if you've, you know, if you have kids, you're, you're kind of nervous the whole time. Pregnancy, it's like, oh, so fragile, frantic, and I'm just the husband, you know? You moms are like, what are you even talking about? Well, I was frantic and stressed a lot. And then, like, when we had our first kid, our daughter, then she was born. And I was like, okay. Smooth sailing. And then it was like the stress just begins. I'm like, all right, let's get like past, you know, the first three months. And then I just begin to look and I'm like, how long is she gonna live with us? I'm gonna be stressed in a hot mess for 18 years. And it's the same when, when I planted Ridgeview. It was like, okay, let's get this, this church off the ground. Let's get it started. And it started and it was like just, there was no measure of, things that I could be stressed about. 
You know, when you're a church that's smaller, do you know you know everyone who comes and who doesn't? No, you're good. I already took a mental picture of all who were here. <laughs> That's the curse. Sometimes you, you, know, you don't want to know. And what began to happen was it began to be about just all the things that I could control. And it wasn't about my love for God. I just got pulled just from the stress of it all. And God did a work in me like, are you, are you doing this for you or for me? Why do you know me, God? He sees. He knows my motives. So many times my motives have been checking. It's not been about my love for God. Sometimes it's my own performance, what people think, my own shortcomings, my own failings. That's what I say. It creeps in no matter where you are. So God's calling us forward to love him above all. The second is to love others with consideration. This is the second part. They asked him, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus said, well, I'll give you two for one. And the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all of the law and prophets. So the Old Testament summed up, you love God and you love others. If you wanna go the way of Jesus, you love people. Now, just like Disney believe, scripture believe are different, same. TV, love, movie love, radio love, song love, different. The love in the world is, if I feel like it, I'll love you. I fall into love, and guess what? You fall out of love. That's not the love of the scriptures. The love of the scriptures is agape love. It's a God-based love. It's not based on feelings. It's based on what's right. You do what's right. And for us as a church, we've talked about this a lot, but it's like our heart attitude number one. It's like, I wanna put your goals and interests above my own. That's how I love you. I'll find out what your goals are, and I want to help you with them. I want to be interested in you. That means I will not do all the talking. I will let you talk, and I will listen, and I will pray, and I will follow up. That's how love is based. If you have people in your life that do that for you, it's different. It transforms. It's so easy for love to be about us. Well, if I just got to get my life right first. I got to love myself first. That's actually a lie. You all and me we love ourselves a lot. Have a mentor that said, you know, you want to know? What happens when somebody cuts in line? Somebody going to say something? Somebody going to do, do they not know? You know, why? Because we love our place in line. And why do we love our place in line? Because we love us. But what happens is as you actually begin to consider others and love them, it actually changes you. You become a different type of person because you're aligning with God. That's what he did. He loved us enough, he sent his son, Jesus, because it was right, it was righteous. And then last, so we love God enough to wanna to please him, we love others, and the, the last is this, live, live by faith. I'm gonna close with this. 2 Corinthians 5, 5 7. For we walk by faith, not by sight. This is a point that just was really on my heart this past week, I think in light of everything going on. And then I think just with still, uh, again, the darkness that we can experience, like the unknown of knowing what to do in the situations we face. I've been thinking about this in my own life, just with like parenting. You know, my kids get older. And if you've never parented at that age and stage, you have no idea what you're doing. 
And it's hard to parent when you don't know what you're doing. And it's confusing. And then I look at the world, I'm like, how do I parent when I don't know what I'm doing in a world that I don't know how to even understand it? You ever feel like that? Like it's confusion in confusion, and you're confused. <laughs> that was deep right there. You don't even know how deep that was. But you see this, this image a lot. And I, I love this image. I think we have it, the faith over fear, maybe. Oh, man, I thought it looked a lot more epic. It's kind of a plain thing. But you see that on, like, T-shirts. You see faith written over fear, and it's like, I love that. Like, that's true, faith over fear. Fear leads us to all sorts of places, but this is a battle, and, and I, I think that's where I've landed. For all of us, we must choose faith, but it's not a one-time choice. Every day, you have to choose faith, and you choose faith in the middle of fear, and it is a battle. In fear, you'll push back. God's gonna take care of you. He's gonna come through, and then tomorrow, you wake up, and the fear is back, and you have to push that fear back again, and you push it in, in faith, and so fear it, it oftentimes is what we can see, and I was thinking about the things that I see in my own life, um, hastiness to try to fix my situations. I just want it fixed. I want it over. I want it done with. Uh, frantic, the feeling that you got to do something. You ever feel that? You just got to do something. What do you got to do? I don't know, but something. Actually, social media fuels that. You get a lot more stressed the more time often you're on social media because everyone's doing something and then you kind of were like, well, we, I got to do something. What do you got to do? I don't know. What are they doing? Can lead to franticness, hastiness, emotionally charged pressure, power moves to get what we want, just a loss of truth, loss of logic. Then you look at the future and it's so confusing. That, that's what we see. That's fear. It's all the things that we are trying to see, but we can't. And because we can't see it, we get full of fear. Well, faith is I, I'll love God above all. It doesn't matter. I'm going to love him above all. I'm going to do what he says. Second is I'm going to love others and put their goals in front of mine. I can always do that. doesn't matter the situation. I can always do that. I'm not going to run from community. That's faith. When you face fear, one of the biggest things you want to do is run away from people. It's true. It pulls at all of us. We want to withdraw. We want to run. There's something about fear that tells us you don't need anybody. Faith is I need people desperately. I cannot run. Faith is I'll not run from my commitments. I'm gonna stay committed. If you're a man, faith is don't run from leading your family. Don't be passive. Fear, easy to be passive. Faith, I'm gonna lead. Men, that's your role. If you're a woman, don't run from following well. If you're married, don't run from following your husband. And don't run from trusting in God. If you're married to a man and it's difficult, I just want to say this, God is watching you and he will help you. Man, we, we mess up a lot. I heard somebody talk about like what it's like to follow a man. It's like following a turkey. <laughs> I think that was like at a marriage seminar. I was like, well, there's one takeaway. Gobble, gobble. But it's true. Turkey's like, they're kind of like, you know, like the dark... That's week two. I think we need to move this. Second week right there. Okay. At least it's consistent. Um, but, but if you're 
If that's the per- yeah, I'm knocking over signs. There you go. That's all you need. That's the illustration. What it's like to sometimes follow a man. But faith is, as I follow, God will take care of me. As I trust in you, God, even if it's hard, you watch out for me and you know me. We live in a time where it's so easy to bail and we just run from anything to try to get what we want. And so men, we, we can't be passive in the middle of fearful times. We need to lead forward with courage. And you can't do that on your own. You need to do that within the community and God will help you. So draw in, be friends with other men in the church. Don't be alone. And women, if you're looking around and you're seeing like, well, I'm stuck, this is terrible, pour into some other women, get some perspective, get some help. As soon as you start getting that fear and the hastiness and you wanna solve a problem, we end up making really bad decisions. I believe God has us exactly where he wants us right now, right here, 2022. And as we choose faith over fear, and as we choose to love others and love God above all, he'll do something. And those treasures of wisdom will begin to see them shine. So I'm gonna walk through some next steps as the band comes up. This first next step is the most important next step I ever talk about. Now, I don't know if you grew up going to church, but if you grew up going to church and there's like an altar call, you guys know what an altar call is? The band would start playing the music and like, you know, you walk down the aisle to commit your life to Christ. That's how I actually came to Christ when I was seven years old. First Baptist Church of Lubbock, Texas, just began to, you know, God was speaking to me like, you need to give your life to Jesus. And I just remember thinking, well, okay, I will. And they started to play the music. If you want to become a Christian, you walk up to the front. Before I know, I was, my parents didn't even know what's happening. I was gone. Oftentimes, that's like an emotional decision, which isn't bad. But at Ridgeview, we want to help you make that decision. We just don't do an altar call. But this is our way of saying, if you want to become a Christian, let us know, and we'll follow up with you. It's the best decision you could ever make. God's design, sin, and brokenness, if you realize the only way and you're ready to go Jesus' way, to accept his forgiveness for your sin, if you've never done that before, we wanna help you with that. And so if you've never committed your life to Christ, that's why we're here. We're not just talking about here and now, right? We're talking about forever. So if you never decided to become a Christian, Mark that, and we'll follow up with you. That's the first next step, the most important one. And then the second is related to that, and it's this. I wanna go public with my faith and get baptized on March 20th. If you've never been baptized, what you're saying is, is I, this is an outward symbol of an inward commitment, and I'm going public. Even if it means it can feel kind of humiliating or embarrassing, I'm gonna do what God says. So we encourage you to be baptized. And then the third is multi-step, but just adopt Jesus' lifestyle. Is there anything that creeps in related to loving God where it's like, there's just some other things that are just becoming a little bit more important. Has God spoken to you on that? Maybe there's just some things that are competing with him. Or maybe there's some things that are just, you're just pulling away from people and you're not looking at ways to love. And then the third is just, are there some things where fear is really overwhelming you? You may need to just choose to live by faith. Having said all that, 
you may be facing some really difficult things. I've even talked about marriage, and marriage can be very difficult. It's not solved in a sermon. But if you need help related to your life, what you're experiencing, what you're going through, let us know. I am available every Sunday after church to talk. We have people on staff that would love to pray for you, to help you. And so let us know. We'll be here. Come talk to us. Also on your connection card, let us know how we can pray. This is real life, and we want to help you with whatever you face. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your presence here. We, we ask that you will continue to lead us forward in the middle of the darkness that we experience. There is nothing too dark that your light cannot overcome. There's nothing too difficult where your power cannot still work. So we claim that in the name of Jesus. We thank you for who you are and what you've done through Jesus Christ. We thank you for your forgiveness. We thank you for the grace and your mercy which you have poured freely on us. God, help us to continue to walk as you, as our guide, that we'll keep in step with you, that we'll do what you say. We'll take you seriously. Show us if there's anything in our life where we've just lapsed in that or gone a different way. In the middle of our detour, Lord, will you bring us back to your ways? In the name of Jesus, we pray.